This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, Back to your seats and getting situated. Uh, We're going to continue walking through the book of Jude. We're actually going to finish it this morning. Uh, But I wanted to start off asking a question, and I have to kind of keep with the the geek side of me. Um, How many people are familiar with this phrase, um, truth, justice, and the American way? Okay. How many people know where it came from? Yeah. Comic books. There you go. Straight out of comic book land. It's actually... um, was kind of inspired by comic books, but it came from uh, the 1942 Adventures of Superman radio show. Not that any of us were listening to that back then. Um, I I wonder if they have a podcast for it now. But in any case, uh, what also was going on in 1942 was we were entering into World War II. Yeah, so uh, there was a lot of animosity about entering into the World War. Uh, A lot of people thought, well, Hitler is doing what's right for his country. It's not our right to interfere. And I'm not comparing the two, but it's kind of the same thing that's going on in Cuba today. Like, the nation is in turmoil, and people are kind of pressuring the United States to say, hey, we we can't just sit by and, and watch the nation collapse. There's a lot of good people that are dealing with the consequences of that nation. Doesn't matter what you think about their policy or their government. If we can help, we can help. So what they did is uh, Superman had already been really popular in the comics. So when they started the radio show, they added this phrase. They just threw it in. I don't remember which episode. It didn't start off that way. They threw it in truth, justice, in the American way because everyone loved Superman. He was like America's favorite superhero. And Superman stood for truth. And so they said, we in America, we've got to stand for truth. They're like, it doesn't matter that Hitler says he's trying to do what's right by his country. That's not the truth that we're seeing. So we need to stand for truth. Uh, They said, hey, we need to stand for justice because if we sit by and watch bad things happen, then we're not being just. We're not doing what's right because that's what justice is, doing what's right. And they said, hey, that should be the American way. And so they kind of inspired America through Superman. So stop hating on me for all the comic book references. They're warranted. Right? They inspired America through Superman with that phrase, truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what they wanted America to do. They wanted America to say, if we're going to stand up for f- truth, 
and we claim that we're going to be just, and we stand up for justice, and that's the American way, then we can't stand by and watch what's going on in this war and just stay out. And the same is kind of true for what's going on um, in Cuba. Now, the reason why I brought this up is because it correlates a lot with what we're going to talk about because we're walking through the book of Jude. We're going to finish it today. And Jude criticized and denied the truth about Jesus. He was like, first he mocked him, made fun of him, uh, and then he literally tried to have him committed. But once he realized who Jesus was, the truth of who he was, he was like, I'm going to take a stand for him, and I'm going to fight for him, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the truth of who he is gets out there. And so then he makes this commitment, and he encourages us to do the same, to contend for the faith on behalf of Jesus, right? He encourages us because he realized there are false teachers who are denying the truth about Jesus. He said, I'm not going to stand for that. And we talked a little bit about this the first week uh, in Jude it's only one chapter. Verse 4, he says, certain men have crept in stealthily. It was intentional, right? And they did it stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. This is the Amplified Version. Their doom was predicted long ago, but they are ungodly, impious, profane persons who pervert the grace, the spiritual blessing and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality. And here's what really got him fired up. They disown and deny our sole master and Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. So he was like, I'm, I can't stand by while they're denying the truth about who Jesus is. And so he writes this whole letter. And last week we talked about, he said, there are serious physical and spiritual consequences for following false teaching and for following false teachers. And he laid him out in detail, used Old Testament references, historical references. And then after saying that, what we're going to talk about this week is he turns his attention to the actual false teachers. He starts talking about here's what drives them, here's why they do what they do. Now, uh, here's the thing. If we look closely, we're going to see a lot of what Jews says applies to preachers, community leaders, and politicians today. A lot of what we're going to read, and I'm not calling out anybody's name, but as you read through this, you know, God may bring to mind, whether it be preachers, um, whether it be community leaders who start organizations and community movements, uh, whether it be in a community or around the nation, or politicians, you'll see some similarities. And again, I'm not calling out any of the names, but you're also going to see a lot of what Jude says is why truth and justice are no longer the American way. That's, that's not what we're known for around the world. That's not what we stand for around the world. And uh, I'm not going to try to influence you to see what that is. But if you have a Bible, open it up uh, to the book of Jude. It is the last book before the book of Revelation. So the second to last, I say book, but it's probably a page, page and a half. If you're using the Bibles on the tables or underneath the chairs, uh, it's page 866. And if you're kind of just logging in, uh, via your phone or tablet, the Wi-Fi password is up on the screen. And I know some of you are like, well, it took us two weeks to get through the first seven verses, but we're actually going to get through all of these verses today, God willing. So starting in verse 8, this is what Jude says. He says, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. 
They reject authority and slander celestial beings. The language that he uses is very specific. He calls them dreamers because that was a phrase that was used in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah chapter 23 where people would come up and say, I'm a prophet of God. I had a dream. God spoke to me. Thus saith the Lord, this is what we're supposed to do. And then God would say, hey, Jeremiah, go tell them that wasn't me. I, I, I'm not the one that told them that. Uh, there is a Hebrew word for what they're telling you, and it is baloney. That didn't come from me. right? So Jude uses that same phrase because he calls these people dreamers. Verse 9, he says, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And what he's saying is these people don't acknowledge spiritual authority, and they have no knowledge of spiritual authority. Verse 10, yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. He says they are not being driven by the Spirit of God. They're just driven by instinct like animals. And then he says this in verse 11, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. When he says they've taken away of Cain, what Cain did, the story of Cain and Abel, is God said, here's the way that you're supposed to worship me. Whether you like it or not, this is, these are the rules. Cain said, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to bring what I want. Instead of bringing an animal like you said, I'm going to bring cursed vegetables because that's what I worked for. So when he says, woe to them, they're, they're taking Cain's way. These leaders are people who say, I don't want to do things God's way. I'm just going to do things my way because they work better. And when he says they have rushed into Balaam's, uh, he uses the phrase Balaam's error. And I don't know if you're aware, but Balaam was someone whom God spoke to. But then some people who hated the Israelites hired Balaam to curse the Israelites and you would think that because God spoke to Balaam, he would say, I can't do that. Instead, Balaam said, I'll take the money. Let me, let me, let me go talk to God and see what he has to say. And he took the money. His, his goal was, I, I can only tell you what God says, but, but give me the money because that's what I want. That's my priority. And when he says that these people have rushed into Balaam's error, Balaam ended up getting killed by the Israelites. And when he says they're destroyed in Korah's rebellion, Korah was a, a, a priest, a Levite. He wasn't a priest, he was a Levite. And in the book of Numbers, God had laid out here, the, all of you Levites, there are roles that you guys are assigned to. So uh, you guys over here, uh, you guys are the priests. Aaron is the head priest. You guys over here, you're responsible for the music. You guys over here, you're responsible for keeping uh, the, the, the oil trims so that the prayers could go up. You guys over here, you're responsible for replacing the bed. They all had roles. Some of the guys, you're just responsible for when it's time to go packing everything up in an organized way so we can move out. Everyone had responsibility. Cora said, I don't want the responsibility God gave me. I want the responsibility God gave to Moses and Aaron. I want to be the head priest. I don't want to do what God said. I want the power to do it my way. And God said, make a long story short, God said, okay, I will show you by divine power who I've chosen to be the priest, to be the leader. 
and it wasn't Korah, and Korah and 250 of his people and their families were killed because they rebelled against God. And this is what Jude is bringing to mind, and I told you before, he brings up a lot of Old Testament stuff talking about these men. Verse 12, he says, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Love feast, like we're going to take communion, and we do it the churchy way, where, you know, now it's not even churchy way, there's a little packet, and you pull out the cracker and the juice. We used to do the come forward and the dipping in the bread, but the way they did it in the early church, is they'd have a full-blown meal. And as a part of that meal, they would take communion. And it wasn't a meal for everyone in the congregation. It was for those in your tribe, your family, your friends, those people that you hung out with. As a part of hanging out together, they would take communion. And he says, these guys, they're blemishes on that. He says, they're shepherds who feed only themselves. And he's taking a poke at the pastors because the pastors were the shepherds who were supposed to feed the flock. But these guys were only feeding themselves. He said, they're clouds without rain. And we've had a lot of rain, right? But what do clouds without rain do? They block the light. He says, that's all these guys are doing is blocking the light. You're coming between you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, they're blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. How many people think he doesn't like them? right? He's using all of this language because he says these false teachers, they're dangerous, but they're also useless people who only want power, who only want to do things their way, who only want to be in positions of authority, and they want money. They're greedy. That's the only thing that's driving them. He says, um, verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, uh, another Old Testament reference, prophesied about them. He said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. That's what drives them, their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. These false teachers, they're selfish, they're greedy, they're vain people. All they want is money, a name for themselves, and power, which is why over and over throughout the Old Testament, there are like dozens upon dozens upon dozens of references to false prophets. Don't follow false prophets. These dreamers are false prophets. Don't follow the false prophets. And when you get to the New Testament, uh, stay in Jude. We're going to come back there in a minute. Uh, you get many verses, starting in Matthew, where Matthew um, records that Jesus says, and he's talking about in the last days, false messiahs, false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So it's not a matter of, and, and I've said this before, if we are getting deceived, I blame the pulpit because we should be teaching you the truth of God's word so that if someone comes with something different, you know the difference. I also blame the people because you should be reading the word of God for yourself, right? And then in the book of Acts, when Paul is meeting with, I think it's the church in Ephesus, before he leaves, he gathers the leaders and he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He says, I know that after I leave, 
Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So Paul says, hey, this is going to happen, that people who are now in the church are going to rise up, and it's not, he gives their specific reason why they're doing it. They want people to follow them. They want to be in positions of authority. They want to be in positions of leadership. They want a following, and so they'll rise up and distort the truth. And then, of course, Paul tells 2 Timothy, I think we covered this verse before. Uh, he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, which means basic truth, biblical teaching, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. And this might be me reading into this a little bit, so give, give, me, give me the umbrella of grace, but what he's not saying that they're going to amass great followers. He says they're going to amass great teachers. To me, it sounds like he's talking about many of the denominations today that have very popular teachers but they're not teaching the truth of God's word. But because they're large denominations, people are following them, but they're teaching things, not the truth from God's word, they're teaching myths. Like myths that Jesus actually never died. Myths that he didn't rise from the dead. Myths that he was married. Some of the other myths are too just disrespectful. I don't feel even appropriate saying them from the pulpit. Uh, you can ask me later. Uh, but then Peter says this, and we've talked about this as well, because this is kind of one of the driving things that drove uh, Jude, Jude. He said, but there are also false prophets among the people in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you in the church, and they will secretly introduce heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And then Jude was inspired by this because he's like, wait a second, I'm hearing some of this today, they're here, which inspired him to write his letter. John also, uh, let me skip this, John also in 1 John writes this. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's really very simple. There are a lot of people and a lot of denominations that acknowledge, hey, Jesus Christ was just a man. He did not come from God. And it's very simple. The apostles said he did. Jesus, who rose from the dead, said he did. You're saying he didn't. I'm going to believe them until you rise from the dead and show me you have that kind of authority over you. It's a simple kind of like, not like complex math. You remember the math formulas in school? And I don't know why, but people think today the best way to entertain one another on the internet is to send those math formulas with multiple brackets. Are you got, am I the only one? See, I swipe because I always get it wrong. And then they don't tell you the answer, so then I just walk away angry. But this is not complex like that. This is just simple. They acknowledge Jesus is from God? Yeah. If they deny it and deny the truth of God's word, then we need to, you know, like Shark Tank, hey, 
For those reasons, I'm out. Doesn't work for me. Uh, he says this also, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is greater than the one who is in the world, and he's talking about Satan. This is what drives those false teachers. Not a spirit of God, but a spirit of Satan, pride, power, and money. And he says, hey, we should know the difference. Uh, jump back into the book of Jude. Drop down to verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. And we just walked through several of them. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Right? Their desires don't come from a desire to do God's will. It's from their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. He says they are not Christians. There are people in the church who aren't Christians, people who come to seek God, people who come to know God. These people, who, he says, they come to divide us and to lead us away from God. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. In other words, he's also acknowledging God isn't done with us, that he's coming back for us. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And then he finishes with this great, uh, eul not eulogy, that's the wrong term, uh, doxology to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, he lays out this, this, this thing. We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, he says, be merciful in confronting false teachers, right? But be vigilant in contending for the faith. And here's where we get it wrong, because a lot of times when we talk to people who think differently than us, we don't extend mercy, our, our desire is to, like, beat them down until they agree with us, which is why a lot of people who are seeking God but don't know the truth, they walk into our churches, and they may have different sexual culture, they may be tattooed up, they may have different whatever, and instead of, hey, let me show you mercy, right, mercy and grace as I lead you to Christ, we just want to just, like, beat them over the head or just... You guys need to get out. That's what the church does. So then what do you think those people do? They turn around to the false teachers who say, well, God loves everyone. You can remain in your sin. You can do whatever you want. God loves you. And they go running to those places because they welcome them. And what we're supposed to do is say, uh, good to see you. Glad you're here. Blah, blah, blah. Teach God's truth. Correct and rebuke with grace and with mercy and with love and with gentleness, kind of like we do with our children, right? You know, we start, we, you know, when our children do wrong things or have questions or they come home with all this crazy stuff they learned somewhere in school or this is what they do at Billy's house, 
we're not at Billy's house. Plus, Billy's parents are crackheads. Don't say that. But we, we, we kind of make sure they understand that what they do there is not what we do here. Well, what do we do here? And then we share with them, here's what we do here. Well, why do we do it that way here? Because here's what God's word says. This is what God tells us. So we need to be merciful, right, in contending for the faith uh, and confronting false teachers and false teachings, but vigilant. We need to keep it up. Uh, and he says, uh, first thing that we need to do is make the commitment to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be that guy that, yes, when, I, when, I, when I'm confronted with false teaching, or false, I'm going to be that guy that says, wait a second, I have a question. And then the question we said to ask is, what, does, what is the biblical context for what you're saying? Now, we're not talking about confronting different political beliefs or cultural beliefs, but specifically when someone comes with something and says, thus saith the Lord, then we should ask, where did the Lord say that? And if they can't show you where the Lord said that, then okay. Again, fall back to, okay, for those reasons, I'm out. You're a nice person, great, you can believe that if you want to, but if you can't show me it in here, I'm not going to assimilate it into here because there's no way for me to know that that's from God, right? So we, we have to ask that question. And it's a simple question. I don't have to know the Bible inside and out. So if Gary comes up with some teaching, and I'm just picking on Gary because he's big and he's like right in my line of sight. So Gary comes up with some kind of thing that thus saith the Lord. I don't know, have to know the Bible inside and out to say, Gary, can you show me where in the Bible it says that? And, and what's your biblical context for that? I don't need to know the Bible to ask him that question. He needs to know the Bible to present this to me. And if he doesn't, not to say that he's wrong, but okay, I'm not, until you can show me where it says in the Word of God, um, I'm just not going to go along with that, all right? Uh, but then he also says this. This is the most important thing. Uh, Mark Berkshire and I, we do a, a, a podcast called Faith Responders where we talk about how people of faith can respond to different things in the culture. And it doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether it be politics or some ungodly thing or whatever. And actually, the next episode will be up next week. But whatever we're talking about, I'll always say, okay, Mark, so let's share what are some godly biblical ways that we can respond to this thing or this thing or this thing. And no matter what, he always has, here's some good practical things we can do, but he always starts with this. First and foremost, pray. Doesn't matter what we're talking about, what we're trying to respond to, what we're trying to get a handle on, his first and foremost comment is always, always start with prayer. Always start with prayer because we have uh, the ability to ask the author God, what is it that you are telling us to do or want us to do? Rather than go by Floyd's opinion or Gary's opinion or Andrew's opinion or anyone else's opinion, we get to go by God's not just opinion, but his word and his will for our life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to, you know, uh, I hope I figure this out. We get to always ask God. God, what is it that you want us to do? And one of the most important things he also said is that we're supposed to, uh, he didn't word it this way, keep in mind that we're living this life and as we do these things, we're doing it not for God who left us here, said, here are these rules, hope you figure it out, but for a God who sent his son to die for us, filled us with his Holy Spirit, and then said, go tell others so that they can experience this freedom until I come back for you. And that's the part that, that 
one of the reasons why I wasn't a Christian for so long is because I never heard that part of the gospel, that Jesus was coming back, that he didn't just leave us here on our own. So we're going to partake of communion because one of the aspects of communion is not just the breaking of the bread or the drinking of the wine, but Paul specifically said that when we partake of communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. It's a a public testament to the fact that God is coming back for us. So I'm going to ask you to take, uh, there should be a little communion package somewhere on your table. And if you can, go ahead and peel back the top portion and uh, bring out, I want to say bread. It's not even a Triscuit, wafer, whatever you want to call it. I don't know, what does it smell like? (laughs) And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we are grateful that you tell us that when we partake of this, it's not just an act that we're doing. It is a reminder that your body was broken for us so that we might experience freedom and truth. And you tell us that you are the way and the truth of the life. And you tell us that when we do this, that we do this in remembrance of you. And that's what we do today. Amen. So go ahead and partake of the bread. And then peel back the other portion to expose the juice and ask you to bow your heads. God, we're so grateful that you tell us when we partake of this juice. Again, it's a reminder of the new covenant written in your blood covenant that you loved us enough to die for, to shed your blood for. And that blood was shed for all of those, all everyone who is willing to acknowledge your sacrifice and who seeks freedom made possible by your sacrifice. And it's that blood and your Holy Spirit that unites us. And we're grateful that you loved us enough to shed your blood for us. And you tell us that when we do this, to do it in remembrance of you. And that's what we do today. Amen. So go ahead and partake of the juice. You know, I was going to ask the band to come up and we were going to sing, but I'm going to ask you guys to stand for a minute. And I want to close in prayer uh, for two things. One, again, for Robert, for just the struggles that he's going through, and uh, many people might not understand the struggles that he's going through, but it has to be hard. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head, God, we pray for the freedom that comes from this sacrifice that you made, your ability that you provided to break strongholds, to, uh, uh, to break addictions, to set captives free, and we pray for that freedom for Robert And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Everyone said amen. 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 Now, I didn't ask permission for this, but um, I know Stacy's father, is it your dad, Um, is in hospice. So uh, I want to pray for him as well. And I know you shared he is is a Christian. He's committed his life to Christ. So um, I know his family might not feel this, but... No matter what happens, uh, whether God heals him here or heals him in a heavenly place, um, 
either path is a better path than where he is now. But uh, if I can get some of the women, are you okay if they come around you and just kind of lay their hands on you? If I can get some of the women to come over and kind of uh, lay hands on Stacy as we pray for her father. Amen. God, we are so grateful for, uh, for having Glenn and Stacy here, and we're so grateful for the healing that you're doing in his life, and uh, just give you all praise and glory for that. And it's that same healing that we see in his life that we're praying for, for Stacy's father, uh, for healing for him, for comfort for the family as they pray for him and support him and encourage him. Uh, we pray that you would give him a peace no matter what the situation leads to, but we do pray for a healing by your hand. But we also acknowledge that might mean a healing bringing him to, his, to your side. And whatever happens, uh, we pray that you would use it for your glory. That you would just shower down your love and your grace and your mercy on Stacy and her family. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Um, thank you guys. Pray that you have an awesome, awesome rest of your Sunday. Continue to be in prayer uh, for all these things throughout the week. And one other prayer update, uh, Martha, who watches this online, I meant to share this earlier. She said thanks to everyone who prayed for her great godson. He's on a swift road to being better. Finally opened his eyes, has real good reaction to touch. God is good. Amen. So again, thank you guys. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your week. God bless.